John chapter 9, and uh, this chapter, I just say, has 41 verses, and uh, we're going to end up eventually, I believe, reading all of them, but we'll start off uh, reading the first 23 to give us a flavor for what's going on, and uh, uh, just to kind of give you an idea of where I'm going, I'm going to summarize the whole chapter when I'm done reading, make a few comments, and then three quick points, and we are done. But John chapter 9, verse 1, and as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me, while it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him that was blind said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes opened? He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, Go in the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received sight. Then said they unto him, Where is he? He said, I know not. They brought him to the Pharisees, uh, or they brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, He put clay upon mine eyes, and I washed and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. They say unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him, that he hath opened thine eyes? He said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called his parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son? who ye say was born blind, how then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind, but by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him, he shall speak for himself. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, said his parents, he is of age, ask him. The title of my message this morning is Choosing to See. Choosing to See. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray this morning that we would choose to see. Jesus is the light of the world. We who sat in darkness have seen a great light. 
But Lord, I pray if there are those here who still need to have the light turned on in their hearts, I pray that you would do that this morning. I pray that you would give me clarity of thought and speech and that you would fill me with your spirit. I pray that the gospel would be clearly communicated. And more than anything, Lord, just as John has really written a very uh, vivid portrayal of events that happened that uh, day, particularly to highlight Jesus and his nature and who he is, I pray this morning we would see Jesus as he is. And if there are, are any here that do not know you as Savior, I pray that today would be the day of his or her salvation. I pray that he or she would not leave this place until that matter is settled, until they know Jesus in a personal way. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we have a, a common saying in English. It has been attributed to the English writer and, and playwright and poet John Haywood. Uh, and it was later picked up by Matthew Henry and published in his commentary. Uh, and the old adage simply states, there are none so blind as those who will not see. And that is uh, a biblical sentiment. That's why Matthew Henry included it in his Bible commentary. Uh, this same idea is, is uh, conveyed to us really multiple times in the Bible, but just one example is Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 21. Hear now this, O foolish people, and without understanding, which have eyes and see not, and have, uh, which have ears and hear not. What is it that made them a foolish people? They had eyes, but they refused to see. And there are people who will look at Jesus and they will hear uh, Bible preaching messages about Jesus and they will say, yes, but they refuse to see. The problem of seeing but not having sight is described throughout the Bible, and our text is just one of many examples. In John chapter 8, Jesus, in one of the great I am statements, declared, I am the light of the world. And people were walking in darkness, and He came to bring them out of spiritual darkness. He reiterates that light of the world statement in verse 5 of the text that we just read. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Looking at what we just read and really taking one step back and looking at the gospel of John as a whole and the, uh, the man, uh, the apostle here, John, he begins the gospel of John. I, I said this morning... It's, it's the greatest thesis statement, I think, that I've ever read. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. No ambiguity, just a, a declaration. He goes on, and you, you read that, and you go, okay, the Word was God. What is this Word, this concept? Well, he gives that concept personhood. All things were made by him. That's a person. Masculine, by the way. And without Him was not anything made that was made. So now the Word we understand is Creator. And John begins to lay out the divine attributes. He had a forerunner, John the Baptist, who witnessed of Him. And finally we come to verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And it becomes very apparent in John chapter 1 that he is talking about none other than Jesus. 
It's the Christmas season, and we have already in this service sang songs about Emmanuel, God with us. The Word was made flesh. The eternal God stepped out of the heavenlies. He stepped out of eternity and into our finite world. The Word was made flesh. Not only was it made flesh, but John saw it. See, he's writing a first-hand account. If we were to go back to the first general epistle of John, 1 John chapter 1, he opens that book with that which was from the beginning. By the way, that's a way of saying he has no beginning. There's, there was never a time when there was not Jesus. He's eternal. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. By the way, we, probably all the disciples, but particularly John is a part of that we. Hey, I was there, I saw that, I heard him, I, I felt him. Verse 3 of 1 John chapter 1 that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. This was not a book report. This was an eyewitness testimony. And John says, let me tell you about Jesus. Now, I mentioned chapter 1 was the thesis. There's 21 chapters in the Gospel of John. And what John does in what follows is he begins to record all the different little accounts, things that the Holy Spirit brought to remembrance. And, and he begins to tell you, let me tell you why Jesus is God. Let me tell you why He's unique of all who ever walked the earth. And the story here in chapter 9 is but one of those stories. Incidentally, last thing John says before closing out his gospel was that if all the stories of Jesus were written, the world could not contain the books. I only have a few minutes. We're going to have to narrow this down. So chapter 9. Come on, pastor, it's not that bad. The... Uh, we, we will be dismissed before evening service. The, uh, Jesus is walking the streets of Jerusalem. That's where the Pool of Siloam is. And he meets this man born blind. And I love the very first thing said in verse 1. As Jesus passed by, he saw what? A man. Now, you may not think that that is particularly important, but it's critically important. Why? Because when other people saw him, even after he had received his sight, they didn't recognize him. Why? Because they saw a condition. They didn't see a person. So is that important? Jesus sees you as an individual. Great statement in the Bible, God is love. Now, that's not all that God is, but Jesus died on the cross because He loves you as an individual. He does not see simply your condition. We see blindness. We see infirmity. We see sin. We see the alcoholic and the adulterous, but Jesus sees a man or a woman. Yes, a man born blind, but a man nonetheless. 
You have not gotten so low in your life with your sin that God somehow no longer cares about you. He loves you. He cares. This man born blind, or this man was born blind, and that's an important distinction. It was not a condition that came upon him later as a result of disease or an accident of some sort. The idea here of being born blind is that you couldn't undo that condition. It It was permanent. The only way to reverse that would be a miracle. And Jesus said, hey, I'm here to do the work of the Father, and I have to work while it's daytime because the night comes when no man works. Jesus is the one who's going to perform that miracle. And this condition of this man born blind, it's a physical condition, but it's an illustration of the spiritual condition of all humanity. We are born spiritually blind. We are sinners at birth. I do not sin in order to become a sinner. I sin because I am a sinner. We're spiritually blind. We're without hope apart from the divine intervention of Jesus Christ. But what we see in this passage is not only the miraculous physical healing of a blind man, but spiritually we see the light dawning upon him. Now, I want to be clear, salvation itself is not a process in the sense that the moment that you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are saved. But that conviction that leads to that moment is different for every person. Uh, my, when my wife and I got married, we went back to her home church in Helena, Montana. I met the pastor there. He grew up as a Catholic. They went to church on special occasions, Christmas, Easter, that kind of thing. And uh, he said, man, I was as lost as could be. Someone, I don't remember if it was a church service or someone witnessing to him, but he said, the first time I heard the gospel, I got saved. My pastor in Columbus, Ohio, very similar background. First time he heard the gospel, he got angry. He, of course, being a good Catholic, he had no Bible. He was invited to a Baptist church on an Easter service. He went in there. He listened to the message and uh, no statues, no Jesus still up on the cross. This pastor's, you know, ranting and raving and telling people they're going to die and go to hell, but Jesus died on the cross for their sins, and he's thinking, this can't be right, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to prove it. And he, he went home, and he got a Bible, and he brought back, and, and, and I don't know what kind of translation if he had, if it was a Catholic Bible or, you know, he stole something from a hotel somewhere, at Gideon's, you know, King James or something. I don't know what it was, but he came back, and he went weeks And then finally, one day, he got saved. And we see the light slowly coming on for this blind man. And we even have that expression, don't we? You talk to someone, they got that sort of quizzical look on their face, they're not fully following, and then you say the one thing, and then it it clicks, and they go, aha, the light came on. Well, guess what? Spiritually speaking, We need the light of Jesus Christ. The light needs to come on in our hearts. And so as we look at this account, the disciples ask a very, I would call it a concerning question. It betrays a misunderstanding of the nature of this life, the nature of suffering in our world. They said, who did sin? Pardon me. 
This man or his parents that he was born blind. Now think about that for a second. The man was born blind. What possible sin could that child have committed in the womb to be born blind? Think about the guilt trip, though, that that would lay on the parents if that's what you believed. My child was born with some sort of birth defect, deformity, what have you, and it's my fault. And that's what they believe. By the way, too many people still believe that. We live in a sin-cursed, fallen world. We can connect it back to the sin of Adam. It was a rebellion against God. God made a perfect world, and we live in a fallen world. And so all suffering is somehow in a general way connected to sin, but not all uh, uh, deficiency, defect, uh, uh, deformity, what have you, is connected to some particular sin. Think about Job. Uh, Job was by God's standard a righteous man, and, and, and he even said to Satan, you know, if you considered my servant Job, there's none righteous like him. And yet, Job suffered. And so, that suffering is the result of sin, but not necessarily a particular sin that some individual uh, committed. There's not what we would call proximate sin. And so, Jesus encounters this blind beggar, and he spits on the ground. He makes some mud. It says clay there, but you get the idea. And he, uh, he, he points on it. By the way, nothing in the Bible is by accident. When God did make Adam, what did he make him from? Dust of the earth, right? I see you got a problem there. Let me take a little bit of dust and water it a little bit. and We're going to restore what is lacking. What Jesus did for the blind man physically, he can do for you spiritually. And so he... he anoints his eyes with uh, uh, the mud that he had made from the, the spit and the dust of the ground, and he tells him to go and, and wash off. And so he's sent to the pool that means sent, and he, he washes off. Well, I don't have any idea how he got there, if he had someone lead him there, if he stumbled around. But suddenly he washes, he can see, he no longer has an issue. Uh, he doesn't need anyone to lead him around. And he's walking now the streets of Jerusalem. Now others see him and they recognize him. And they said, is that him? Well, it looks like him. Maybe. Not sure. And he goes, no, I'm, I'm him. So they do what anybody would do. Instead of praising the Lord, they take him to the religious authorities and say, what do you think about this? And so the Pharisees, they look at the man. They ask what happened. And again, we see here the wheels are beginning to turn for the blind man. He begins to contemplate who was this healer who restored his sight. And uh, so the neighbors ask him, how were you healed? And he explained in verse 11 that he was healed by a man that is called Jesus. And that's all he knew. By the way, he'd never seen his healer. When he was talking to Jesus, he was blind. He couldn't see. When he is standing before the Pharisees, they ask him how he received his sight, and he explained that Jesus made clay and put it on his eyes, and in the minds of the Pharisees, Jesus was a double lawbreaker. He had made clay on the Sabbath, and he had healed on the Sabbath. Now, let me just pause and say this. Jesus wasn't a lawbreaker. Jesus explained to them multiple times when he was accused of this that First off, just general principle, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Number two, he said, he said to them at one point, he said, don't you have animals? Now, I'm paraphrasing, but uh, don't you have animals? Don't you have an ox or an ass at home? It's in a stall. 
on the Sabbath day, you get up, you take it out of the stall, you lead it over to the watering trough, you give it something to eat. Isn't that work? In another place, in Matthew, he talks about a sheep that's fallen into a pit. I believe it's in Luke. He talks about, again, an ox or an ass that's fallen into a pit. The whole point is, if you had a farm animal and it fell into a pit and it was the Sabbath day, you wouldn't let it wallow around in the pit, kicking, breaking legs, potentially dying all Sabbath day because you refused to work. No, you would go and you would pull it out of the pit on the Sabbath day. How much more should a man who's been born blind, lived his whole life blind, had really no life other than that of a beggar, how much greater is he than that ox or that ass or that sheep? Sometimes it's just perspective, right? And so they said, well, you know, he's a lawbreaker. By the way, you begin to see the division among the Pharisees because even some of them are kind of looking a little bit dubious at that argument. And so, the Pharisees ask the blind man, a formerly blind man, for his opinion of Jesus. And again, we see a little more light shining through. He answers in verse 17, he is a prophet. By the way, that is a good answer because Moses referred to him as that prophet that would come. And so, the Jewish leaders were skeptical. They had to find fault with all of this. Uh, They could not acknowledge that Jesus was the Christ, that is to say the Messiah of Israel. And so they called his parents. They said, well, maybe he really wasn't born blind. So they called his parents, and uh, the parents, the Bible makes it very clear, they were afraid. They were afraid of the Sanhedrin. If they uh, said or confessed in any way that Jesus was the Christ, they could be put out of the synagogue and, and would be put out of the synagogue. And so they said, nope, that's not us. So they asked him, is this your son? They said, oh, yeah, that's our son. Uh, He was indeed born blind, but we don't know how he received his sight. We don't know who did it, but he's old enough to answer for himself. He's of age. Ask him. Sidestep that. Let me just say something. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you will have to answer for that. People will be curious. The idea, and I've I've heard it, nah, not so much in our kind of churches, but I've heard messages where people present salvation as if once you get saved, all your problems go away. <laughs> no, 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 it's not the way it works. And so the Pharisees again turned their attention to this healed man and said, well, you should praise God, which is true, except they weren't interested in praising God because Jesus was God and they didn't want to give him praise. Their intention was clearly to dismiss the role of Jesus in this man's healing. They didn't want to admit who he was. And so they said that, they, they, we don't know from whence he is. They just say, we don't know his origin. And that's kind of important. A lot of times the prophets, they would say that he was the son of so-and-so. He was from such and such a place. They'd give a geographical origin. They would give a, a, a genealogy, a, maybe a, a tribal affiliation. Even, even the apostle Paul talked about being a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Here they said, we don't know where this Jesus fellow is from. And the blind man answered. And in fact, they, the Bible says that they reviled him. And the man answered in verse 30, Herein is a marvelous thing that you know not from whence he is. Yet he hath opened mine eyes. 
doesn't matter whether you know where, where he's from or not. It doesn't change the fact that I can see now. And so, again, they ask him how he came to, to sight. And, and the man tells them, you've already heard. We, we go back to verse 27. He says, I've told you already, and you didn't hear. In other words, we, we weren't paying attention. You weren't listening. Wherein would you, or wherefore would you hear again? I love this. Will ye also be his disciples? You know what he's saying to them? I've told you the answer but you're resistant. You won't accept the truth. You're digging your heels in. You're justifying yourself. And so the Pharisees were so angry, they kicked him out of the synagogue and sent him away. And after leaving the presence of the Pharisees, Jesus now finds the man walking the streets of Jerusalem again, and we finally see the last step in the healed man's understanding of the nature of Christ. Verse 35, Jesus asks him, says, verse 35, Jesus heard that, he, or that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? Jesus doesn't come in and say, hey, by the way, I'm Jesus, I'm the guy that healed you, and I heard you had a rough go of it there with the Pharisees. Yeah, they can be pretty hard, but you did the right thing. He doesn't do any of that. He says, do you believe on the Son of God? Yeah, just cut right to the chase. Verse 36, he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? First step to salvation is a willingness to hear. A willingness to receive the truth no matter what it is, no matter where it leads you. And then he, Jesus says to him, or he actually goes on, he says, That I might believe on him. Verse 37, and Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talked with, with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. He was willing to believe on Jesus. And that the conclusion of this, and by the way, not just willing, but he did. He, he believed on him. Now, we pick up in verse 39, Jesus says this, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see... Uh, excuse me, that they which see not might see, and they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? And Jesus said unto them, If ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now ye say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. The answer means those who understand that they're spiritually blind, they can receive their sight. They just have to acknowledge their condition acknowledge their sin, place their faith in Christ as the remedy for sin. But the Pharisees were proud. They knew the law of God better than anyone. Who are you to instruct me? By the way, I, uh, there are professors at seminaries and universities, and there are pastors in pulpits and honestly, if you were to talk about their Bible, not, we talk about those who don't know the Bible, but there are the, the opposite types as well. They know the biblical languages, they know eastern languages, they know dead languages, they know the archaeology and the history, and they can make connections that you, you know, start blowing circuits in your brain. And they know way more than Pastor Shot and I, but they are still sitting in darkness. They're spiritually blind because their education has puffed them up and they've used it to resist, not to believe. Right. 
The truth is not hiding from you. It's staring you in the face. And Jesus asked his disciples, whom do men say that I am? It's an important question. And John is writing this story to tell us who exactly Jesus is. If this passage teaches us anything, it's that we're born in sin. That is to say, spiritually blind. But the condition doesn't need to be permanent. It can be reversed. God has provided a cure in the person of Jesus Christ and in His redemptive work. And Christ has already performed His work of grace. He paid for our sins on the cross and He rose again in victory three days later. And we can have our eyes open. If if you're not saved, you can get saved before you leave this place. You just have to be willing. And so every person must open his eyes to the identity of Jesus Christ. You say, how can I do it? First, by starting with what you know. I have three really quick points, and I do mean quick. Start with what you know. If you want to see Jesus for who He is, start with what you know. Verse 24, then again, they, uh, then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. Boy, here they are impugning Jesus again. Not because they can, per se, but as a means of protecting themselves. The last thing they want to do is admit their own need. Verse 26, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Verse 25, he answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. Can you imagine this conversation? Really. The Pharisees, this man's a sinner. Maybe, but you know what? An hour ago I was doing this, couldn't see anything. Now I see. You can make all the arguments you want to me, and I've had it. I've had people say, well, what about this passage of Scripture where it says this? Or what about... I've had people try to poke holes in my faith. And let me just say, like the blind man, there was a time when I was spiritually blind, but now I see. And you are not going to shake my faith, nor will there be any sort of public deconstruction, because I know Jesus Christ. That's why. And I know what he's done for me. And I am not, and I I, I freely admit this, uh, sad to say, uh, I am not all that I should be all the time. Neither are you, by the way. But I do know that I've been changed by the grace of God. And if you are not saved, if you're here, maybe you've been invited, maybe you've come for, for baptism services in the past, or friends have have brought you and you're, you're on the fence, you're, you're sort of in that process of figuring out whether or not you want to place your faith in Christ or whether or not this church is even right in its understanding of Scripture, I, I, I encourage you, start with what you know. Do you know people who have been saved? Has their life changed because of that? Start with what you know about yourself. Are you a sinner? You know the answer. And I'm telling you that the direction of your life can change if you'll place your faith in Jesus Christ. John Newton was born the son of a shipmaster. He started going to sea when he was 11 years old. As a young man, he was involved in the slave trade. And uh, at some point, in, uh, he even put a, a date, I want to say it was March 10th of uh, uh, 
I don't remember the year now, but he was 22 years old, turning 23 later that same year. He said he was on the ship. He had been reading his Bible. He had been praying for uh, some kind of direction or wisdom from God. And he said on that particular day, he became a Christian. He was converted. He was saved. He went on, though, to say that he continued in the slave trade for some period of time after that. But at some point, he came to the conviction that it was evil and that a Christian shouldn't have anything to do with it and really uh, a Christian nation shouldn't be engaged in it. And he began to advocate against the slave trade. He became an Anglican minister, uh, which, <laughs> well, it's kind of funny now to think about that, but uh, they're not what they used to be anyway. And then he, uh, he, he w- would write things and he wrote poems and he wrote hymns. And one day... In 1779, John Newton penned these famous words, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but what? Now I see. See, this idea, this isn't just a pastor making this up. You know, this guy, many years before I was ever born, he sat down, he reading his Bible, said, There was a time when I was blind, and now I see. He knew very well that he was, had been spiritually blind, but by meeting Jesus, he had been given his sight. And if you want to open your eyes to the identity of Jesus Christ, begin with what you know. Secondly, view life through the lens of the Bible. Now, I know if, if, if someone's not saved, you say, well, I really don't know that much Bible. Well, you're in the right place because this, this is a church that preaches and teaches the Bible. But look at verse 26. Then said they unto him again, what did he to thee, how opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and, and ye did not hear. Wherefore would ye hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? Then they reviled him. Can you imagine that? They're scorning this poor guy. Uh, and, and said, thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. I want you to think about that. They're making an argument here that we're the disciple of Moses. We know that Moses wrote the word of God. We have the law. This is who we follow. By the way, they were not. They were not. If they were following Moses, they would have been looking for that prophet. And, uh, but he goes on. He, they said, for we know that God spake unto Moses, as for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto them, why, herein is a marvelous thing that you know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard? that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. By the way, that last thing they say, the Pharisees, to the blind man, Thou wast altogether born in sin. Hey, get a mirror. You know who else was altogether born in sins? All of us. The Pharisees, in arguing that Jesus was not the Messiah, said that, that, well, we don't know where he is. He's a sinner. He's a Sabbath breaker. They made all these arguments against him because they were justifying themselves. And they claimed to follow Moses. But I think the blind man here, and I want you to think about his education. He was born blind, and now his parents were part of the synagogue, so we have to assume that they learned something, right, in the synagogue. And we will assume that they taught their son. 
But other than that, he had no formal education. He couldn't even read. Couldn't see the pages. And yet, for all of that working against him, he understood what the Bible said about the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 42 describes the servant of the Lord, that is the Messiah, that he was to be a light to the Gentiles who would open the blind eyes, Isaiah 42, 7. The beggar also understood that God hears the prayers of the righteous. He said, well, you're saying he's sinful, but he opened my eyes. And then he says, was it ever heard that any man opened the eyes of the blind? See, beggar didn't know much of the Bible, but he believed what he knew. And he had learned to interpret his life through the understanding of the Bible. Now, the Bible is a whole lot more than a textbook. Yes, we must learn it, but the purpose of learning is not so much just that we have a lot of facts rattling around our head, but that we might apply it to how we live. And a lot of errors could be avoided if we would view our lives through the lens of Scripture. That's called a Christian or a biblical worldview. But if you're going to open your eyes to the identity of Christ, interpret life from a biblical perspective. A biblical perspective is so critically important. See, we have this tendency, we do not view the world through the lens of the Bible, we view the Bible through the lens of the world. And I will hear people say, well, you know, I used to believe that. And they're making moral judgments not on the basis of Scripture, but on the basis of world opinion. So we need to start with what we know, view the world through the lens of the Bible. Thirdly, though, receive the truth with humility. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. No hesitation. There it is. He received it with humility. And I just want you to contrast the attitude of the beggar and the attitude of the Pharisees. The beggar was humble. He received the truth. The Pharisees were proud. They had nothing to learn they saw the same thing the beggar saw in Christ. They saw a man who was healed, a man who had been born blind. Uh, no doubt they knew what the Scripture said, but they refused to acknowledge it. The truth is not simply information. It's not an it. It's a person. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. How different was the response of the Pharisees to that of the beggar? The beggar was asked to believe on the Son of God, and he simply asked, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And when he understood that Jesus was the Son of God, he believed and he worshiped and he was humble. The lost man has a choice you can believe on Jesus Christ or you can resist Him. You can formulate arguments against Jesus Christ. You can say, yes, but... But those arguments are about as effective as the arguments of the Pharisees. An honest man who will be honest with himself will see his condition 
He'll see his need, and he'll place his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Redeemer of mankind. If you don't want to be blind, if you want to open your eyes to the identity of Jesus Christ, you must be willing to receive the truth with humility. It does take a humble man or woman to admit, I have a need. I cannot do this on my own. I heard a great thing the other day. I was listening. It had nothing to do with this. I was listening to a Bible study on uh, out of Leviticus. That's exciting, isn't it? It's Leviticus, all the sacrifices. And uh, it was J. Vernon McGee. And he said this. He said, the central question of salvation revolves around this. Now, he's talking about the, the sweet savor offerings. I'm sure all of you are scholars. You understand that. But it was the idea that God the Father was satisfied with his son. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Mentions that a couple times in Scripture. And he said, God the Father was satisfied with his son. Are you? Do you know why people don't get saved? Because they think it takes something more. It's never just Jesus. It's never what he did. It's always, well, Jesus plus church membership or Jesus plus baptism or Jesus plus my righteousness or Jesus plus this particular ritual. And I'm here to tell you, it's just Jesus Christ. He paid it all. And you don't have to bring any of the other baggage with you. Just receive Christ. Are you satisfied the way that God the Father was satisfied with His Son, Jesus Christ? And so we come to these last few verses of the chapter. We covered them already. Those who want to see need only admit their blindness. Those who claim sight are in fact blind, spiritually speaking. And again, that's a, a bit of a paradox, but the message is very simple. Those who justify themselves in an effort to avoid placing their faith in Jesus Christ, they are blind. And so, spiritually receiving your sight is as easy as opening your eyes. Jesus has already made a way for you to come out of spiritual darkness into the light by dying on the cross for your sins. He was nailed to the cross. He shed His blood for our sins. He was taken down for that, from that cross. He was placed into a borrowed tomb. And three days later, he rose in triumph over sin and the penalty of sin, which is death. He took your place on the cross, and he put away sin once and for all, as evidenced by his resurrection. By the way, another way in which God was pleased with his son. And he now offers salvation as a free gift. We have Christmas coming up. There's all sorts of gift giving. You know, I'm going to buy things for my wife and... I'm not expecting anything in return in terms of, you know, well, I'll give you this gift, but it's going to cost you $50, you know. It doesn't work that way. If it's a gift, you don't pay for it. You can receive Christ by faith, as simple as receiving a gift. And so if you want to have your eyes open, begin with what you know. What do you know about yourself and what do you know about Christ? View the world through the lens of the Bible. The Bible helps us understand the world around us and it prevents us from being deceived by false teachers and false ideas. And ultimately, we must be willing to receive the truth into our hearts. If we're humble, we'll have no problem admitting our need and receiving Christ as the remedy for that need and allowing him to take up residence in our hearts. You know, the Pharisees kept trying to poke holes 
in who Jesus was in order to justify themselves. And I've seen that behavior so many times. I've witnessed to people, and, I, and, and, and what I said about the yes, but, uh, you hear it so often. And people say, yes, but what about this or what about that? But they, all they were doing was justifying themselves. And by justifying themselves, they were holding themselves back. And I would simply say to you, if you're not saved this morning, what's holding you back? What excuse are you using to prevent yourself from coming to Christ? Tear down it, that, that, that excuse. Cast it out. Put it far from you and embrace Christ. The truth is not hiding. It's staring us in the face. We just need to open our eyes that we might see it. And in seeing the truth, we're not seeing an it. We're seeing a person, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Every person must open his eyes to the identity of Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that even now, the word is having an effect on people's hearts. Lord, we love you and we thank you for loving us. We love you because you first loved us. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the greatest gift ever given. And Lord, we thank you for sight. Not that we did anything to earn it, but Lord, that you provided it to us. If there are any that don't know you as Savior, I pray they would not leave this place without the, that matter settled. I pray, Lord, that we would be able to rejoice with them. In Jesus' name, amen.